Stepping out in John 15, the Gospel of John, John 15. And we are in the second week of a series called Abide, which is a fancy term that some of your translations might use, but it's more often translated remain. And in this series, we're looking at what it means to remain or to abide in Jesus out of Jesus' words in John 15, verses 1 to 11. And as we start this morning, I'm going to invite Reuben, my friend who I connected with this week, up to do the reading for this morning. So Reuben, come on up. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as... Last week I talked about the characteristics, five characteristics of Christians that build and sustain spiritual depth and fruitfulness because these are things that help us to abide in Christ. And I'm not going to go into them in detail. I'm just going to remind you of them every week. Number one, they build rituals into their lives so that they're not simply doing things when they feel like it, but they build rituals that will help keep them on track even when motivations and feelings wane. Number two, they maintain accountability through Christian friendships and groups. Three, they're committed to growing through hardships, not hiding from suffering and pain, but moving into it and seeking to glorify God in it. They practice spiritual disciplines, specific practices that the Bible says these are critical to remaining in Jesus. And five, all of their activity is established in the gospel of grace, meaning they don't get up and start their day on the premise of, well, if I just do all these things and if I avoid these bad things and do these good things, then God will accept me and God will love me and and I'll be blessed. It's to say, no, in Christ, I start the day blessed. In Christ, I am forgiven in Christ, my position is secure. I'm now going into my day to learn how to live in him, learn how to strengthen this relationship, yes, but not from a place of self-centered, anxious striving, from a place of security in the finished work of Jesus on my behalf. Now, today I want to talk about how some of these things relate to the Bible and prayer. Jesus says something really interesting in John 15, verses 7 and 8. He says, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. 
A lot have ink, a lot of ink has been spilled over, especially verse seven. What does that mean? What's going on there? Uh, that sounds um, almost too good to be true. If we remain in Jesus, we can ask for whatever we want and it will be given to us. Let's not miss the forest for the trees. Jesus is saying that there is a mysterious but a very powerful relationship between Jesus' words remaining in us and us being able to pray for whatever we want, receiving it, and then bearing fruit as a result. So there's this, there's this uh, interesting synergy that Jesus is trying to draw to our attention between the words of God and intimacy and prayer with God. And when these things come together, powerful things happen that couldn't happen if those things aren't actually married together in practice. And out of that verse, I think what we want to commit to is building a ritual. We want to be Christians who have this ritual in mind. This is the ritual we want to build. And I would argue it's maybe one of the most foundational, which is daily personal engagement with God through the Bible and through prayer. That's the ritual that we want to build into our lives. Daily personal engagement with God through the Bible and through prayer. Now classically, when I, when I became a Christian, I was told that's called devotional time or doing your devotions. So I'm going to be using that as shorthand for meaning daily personal engagement with God through the Bible and through prayer, a devotional time. A time that we have devoted unto God devoted to building ourselves up in Christ, time that we've devoted to understanding God's truth, connecting with God in in an intensely personal way. But I know that for many, many people, having a rich, meaningful, transformative devotional time is very, very challenging. I talk with a lot of people. I've observed my own patterns in my own life. And having a devotional time is easier said than done. It's definitely easy to do a devotional time if the goal is, okay, devotions. What's my reading? Jeremiah, read it, good. Three verses, yeah, interesting, good. What's the reflection? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, it's a good little tidbit. And then I pray, bless me, Lord, done. Move forward. You can execute a devotional time pretty easily, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a time that is a little bit slower, and it's going to be a lot more transformative and meaningful and purposeful. It's going to have depth and fruitfulness beyond just those few moments because you're not just rushing through. It's not just mechanical. It's a ritual that's holding you in place long enough to seriously engage with God. But first, let's lay some groundwork in terms of why read the Bible at all, why pray at all. Those are things that are important for us to review if we are an established Christian And if you are new to the faith, it's very important that you understand why it's important to read the Bible, why it's important to pray, and therefore why it would be important to engage with God through those two vehicles uh, um, every single day. So why study the Bible? Well, number one, the Bible often talks about itself as spiritual food to sustain God's people. It's spiritual food. Deuteronomy 8, God is speaking to the next generation of Israelites. The first generation has gone through the Red Sea. They're going on the way to the promised land. They disobey God. They have to wait for 40 years. Then they die out. 
And then this is that next generation who's standing on the precipice of the promised land. And God says to them, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would actually keep his commandments. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The Bible is spiritual food. And the Bible is God's word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible provides truth, which is really good news in a world of fake news. In Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, he prays, God, sanctify them, meaning those who will follow him and those who are in him. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. The Bible provides wisdom and direction for life. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. In our culture, the, the, the impact of that metaphor is lost on us because we can go into almost any darkened room and flip on night lights. And if you live in large urban centers, there's so much light pollution that even at night, you're never really completely in the dark. But once you go camping out in the Kootenays and are swallowed up by the night's deep darkness and you have to get out of your sleeping bag to go to the bathroom and find that outhouse, all of a sudden, that little Coleman electronic light is the most beautiful, helpful thing you've ever experienced in your life. To be able to see enough to know, oh, don't walk there. Here we go. I, oh, okay. I'm not going to trip over something and break my neck. And the psalmist says, that's what your word is like. In a world of darkness, which way do I turn? What do I do? What should I do in this situation? The Scripture gives us wisdom and direction. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is living and active. By God's spirit, God uses his word to transform us. The scripture has transforming power. We're all born as image bearers of God. Every single human being, male or female, made in the image of God. All precious to God, important to God. And from our, uh, as we move through life, we are formed in certain ways. And one of the things that scripture speaks to is that we're often deformed. We, um, through our own thought, word, and deed, in our own rebellion against God, then other forces around us, other temptations, all serve in different ways to deform us from the image bearer, from the kind of human that we were designed to be. But in Christ, in God's redemptive stream, in that relationship, God uses his word to begin to reform us. And so we are transitioned, we're transformed from a deformed state where we don't know what it is to be human to a place where we understand what it means to love God, heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and to love your neighbors yourself, to move into your vocation as an image bearer in the world, and to have peace and a sense of coherence and connection with God within that spills over into every dimension. 
And another reason why I would think it's super important to read the Bible is because ultimately the Bible is a means to a greater end, and that is pointing us towards the gospel that is found only in Jesus. The Bible reveals Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And the implications now that Jesus has come and lived, died, resurrected, ascended, is now ruling and reigning and is coming again. Jesus frames the whole story of Scripture. And he's the gateway into new life. In fact, he even chastises a group of Pharisees in John chapter 5 who see the Old Testament and they treat it as if almost like the words are magical. Like, oh, if I just, if I just know these scriptures, then I possess eternal life. It, it was almost a superstitious understanding of the scripture. And Jesus says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess, you possess eternal life. But these are the scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus says this is, certainly the Old Testament is one big, long trailer for a massive coming attraction. And Jesus says, I am now here. So the Bible leads us to Jesus and his good news of his life and death and resurrection. I was reading a book, I'll mention this in a little bit, called Clarifying the Bible by Mitch Meyer, and he starts his book with a quote that is, uh, it's not attributed to any author, no one's been able to find out who's, who wrote this, but I think it's a good summary quote of why you as a Christian should be eager to get into the Bible every single day. The quote is this, the Bible is the mind of God, it is the state of man, it is the way of salvation, it is the doom of sinners, and it is the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It's a traveler's map, it's a pilgrim's staff, it's a pilot's compass, it's a soldier's sword, and it's the Christian's character. Here, in its pages, paradise is restored, heaven is opened, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good, its design, and the glory of God, its end. And it should fill the memory, it should rule the heart, it should guide the feet. And so read it slowly and frequently and prayerfully. It's a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. Follow its precepts and it will lead you to Calvary, to the empty tomb, and to a resurrected life in Christ. Yes, to glory itself for all eternity. That's why you want to read the Bible. Now why pray? Well, if the Bible is spiritual food that sustains us in a way that no other nourishment can spiritually, prayer is oxygen to life in Christ. Just like air is essential for us to stay alive, similarly, prayer is essential for a vibrant, beautiful, fruitful Christian life. Why does a Christian pray? Someone wrote these words. A Christian prays not because they see prayer as a means of getting God to do our will on earth, but a Christian prays rather as a means of getting God's will done on earth. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, everything, big and small, 
what you consider to be important and what you consider to be, well, I don't know, this is that big a deal. In everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. A peace of God which transcends your ability to wrap your mind around it will guard your heart and mind. A lot of people want that. The Bible says, how do we do it? By not being anxious and by deciding to, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present our request to God. Pray. Why pray? Timothy Keller, in his book, Prayer, says prayer turns theology into experience. Prayer is awe, it is intimacy, it's struggle, and yet it is the only way into reality. And there's nothing more important or harder or richer or more life-altering. There is absolutely nothing so great as prayer. And another truth that the scripture speaks to that is captured well by Bible teacher Beth Moore. Why should we pray? Because there are parts of our calling as Christians. There are works of the Holy Spirit. There are defeats of the darkness that will come in no other way than through furious, fervent, faith-filled, unceasing prayer. Christians pray because things happen when we pray that wouldn't happen if we didn't pray. Reflecting on how we approach prayer, what our posture and attitude in prayer should be. The 19th century South African pastor Andrew Murray said, each time before you pray, be quiet first. And worship God in his glory. And think about what he could do. And how he delights to hear the prayers of his redeemed people. And think about your place and your privilege in Christ. And then expect great things. And his conviction in prayer, Murray's, was born out of this. He said, we must begin to believe that God, in the mystery of prayer, has entrusted us with a force that can move the heavenly world and bring its power down to earth. Now, I would imagine if you, like me, are hearing this, whether you've been a Christian for very little time or a long time, maybe if you're not even a Christian, you hear that and say, I want to know that. I want, I want that experience. That's not my experience of engaging the Bible and engaging in prayer. You, I mean, that just seems like a completely another world. When I read stuff like this, I think that's for like super Christians. I don't think that's on offer for me. And yet scripture makes it clear, this is available to anybody who's willing to learn to build the ritual of daily personal engagement with God through the Bible and through prayer. How do we do it? I do not want this series and I don't want this message to simply be inspiration without instruction where people are leaving and saying, yes, I'm gonna, I, I wanna get into the Bible more, I wanna pray more. And again, we just double down into our own sense of willpower and self-motivation and then we burn out and then we're not successful and then we think there's something wrong with us and I want to share with you 
how to structure a devotional time, how to feed every day on food and oxygen. And as I do, I want you to realize everything that I'm talking about is scalable, meaning I might talk about something and say 10 minutes. I might throw that out. You might be like, I don't think I could do that for 10 minutes. That's great. Scale it down to one minute. I might reference something else and say a chapter. You're like, I don't know if I can read a whole chapter of the Bible. Okay, just use one of the little in-betweeny breaky bits where it gives you a little heading and you don't have to go through a whole chapter. Scale it. I'm used to scaling at the gym. You come in, you see a workout. Here's the prescription. This is what you're, you can do at the high level. And there's lots of times where I look at that and I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I, I don't think I can do that, at least safely. <laughs> and so I scale it. I just go down. That's okay. So how do we structure a devotional time where we're taking in food and oxygen every day? Well, let's talk about three different ways that you could do that. There's obviously tons. I just, these are just three ways. And if your devotional life is rocking, awesome. This is going to be review and you're going to be like, oh, maybe pick up some tips and tricks here. But for a lot of us, it's going to be about saying, hey, here are three options. I'm going to choose one and just sit in this for a while. We want to build a ritual. And the way you make a ritual not ritualistic is you keep the ritual of connecting with God every day through the Bible and prayer, but then every once in a while changing it. So I usually change that on a monthly basis, sometimes every other month. So I'm still connecting with God every day, but I'm doing it slightly differently. And so you could cycle through these different ways of doing it. But let's just walk through these and you'll see how this could go. Number one, structure a devotional time using a devotional. There are little books called devotional. There are sometimes books, sometimes they're booklets. I've given you a link on Crosswalk to... I don't know how many there are, hundreds? I think there's hundreds of free devotional reflections that can be emailed to you that you can receive every day. And they cover, I mean, the level of specialization in devotions now is kind of insane. There's actually a devotional for one-eyed pastors with heads that are disproportionately too large for their bodies. I was like, that's probably a little bit too specific. I don't know how many people are on that mailing list. But there are devotions for every stage of life. And if you want to learn about apologetics, if you just want a general one, if you want to have a devotional that goes through a, a, uh, uh, the, um, the Pentateuch for, and, and dives into that for a year, you can do that. There's devotionals for men and women and teens and all over. It's awesome. So pick one, and this is what I would do. I would start small, maybe just five minutes. And I would pray. I just say, and if you don't know what to pray, always pray this. If you never know what to pray, just pray God, reveal yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me. Just pray that. Or I'm surrendered to you, God, or show me what you want to show, but reveal yourself to me. Then you're going to read the devotional, and the devotional is usually, here are the scriptures to read, so you look those up, you read them. You read the thought in the devotional, it's usually a reflection of some kind on the passage or on one of the passages. And then read it twice at least. Don't just read it once or read the passage two or three times slowly. Don't just rip through it. Take a moment, underline something that sticks out to you, pray, and if you don't know what to pray, just say, thank you, God, for showing me this. But usually a devotional will have a suggested prayer and pray that. Praying a prayer that someone else has written is totally legit. I grew up when I became a Christian in an evangelical culture where following in the footsteps of someone else's prayer, like when we open up the Anglican prayer book and are reading someone else's prayer, that's not coming from your heart. You're reading someone else's prayer. That's like, that's fake. 
not just uh, ritualistic religion. God wants spontaneity and wants you to just pour your heart to him. Yeah, that's great. If you know how to do that and you're comfortable doing it, doing it, do it. But a lot of the time, we don't know what to say in prayer. So let someone else guide and teach you. When you sing the songs with lyrics that someone else has written, is it fake worship to God? Why would it be fake prayer to read someone's prayer and say, that's awesome. I'm going to read this to God. It counts. So you pray, and then you commit to taking action. There's probably one actionable idea in your devotional. Say this to someone to say, write this letter, send this email, do this deed, consider these things, memorize this, take action on it. Pray, read the devotional slowly, maybe at least twice, sit with it for two or three minutes. That whole thing may take five to ten minutes. If you did that every day, you are intaking food and oxygen, and it will bear fruit both short-term and long-term. That's one way to structure devotional time. The second is to read through a book of the Bible. Take a specific book. If you don't know where to start, people often have option paralysis. There's 66 books. I don't know where to start. Is it better to start right in Genesis and try and go all the way through? Or I don't know. I always say start with a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If, if you're comfortable with that or you want to do something else, pick a New Testament book. Then either dip into Proverbs, Psalms, and then move into other Old Testament books because the deeper you go into the Old Testament, the more context historically, and sometimes um, uh, rules of interpretation you may need in order to get the most out of it. So generally speaking, Gospels are a good place if you feel like you're in a stuck or you don't know where to start. Just pick one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and read one chapter or a little section heading a day. And what you're going to do is, once you've picked the book of the Bible, you're going to go on YouTube And you're going to watch the Bible Project's video overview, which will be five to eight minutes long, of that book of the Bible, which will give you a bird's eye view of where that book is within the drama of Scripture and what its major themes are and how it's broken up. And it will help you immensely understand when you hit verse one, oh, I I already feel like I have pre-momentum built. I know what's going on. I know the context. Oh, that's interesting. And what I try and do, if I'm going through a book, like let's say Galatians, I'll watch it once at the start, And then after a few days or whatever, I'm into a few chapters, I'll watch it again in the middle, and then I'll watch it at the end. So I'm getting both the big picture and the little picture to make sure that I'm not, that I have a sense of what's going on and where I am in this book and within the larger story of what God is doing. Helpful for this to have a study Bible because you're not going to have a devotional reflection. You're just reading John chapter 1, and you might read through it and say, I don't really know. I have questions about this. I'm not sure what to do with this. And you might want to read in your study Bible and say, oh, what, what does this mean or what's going on there? I've given you five of the best study Bibles in your handout. That's cross-referenced through a number of sites. The, uh, I, I, I have three of these. I have the NIV Cultural Background Study Bible, which I use the most. It's the best to me. Uh, I have the ESV Study Bible, which is really good, but it's like a billion pages long. It's massive. You want to look like a super Christian? you get the ESV study Bible. It's awesome. You need a backpack. You put it in the backpack. Backpack has to be reinforced, but it's pretty, it's pretty intense. And I have the Zondervan NIV study Bible, which is very, very solid too. If you're new to faith, the NIV understanding the faith Bible study is awesome. And if you're really interested in kind of steeping in how does my faith affect my workplace, NIV faith and work study Bible is excellent as well. So you're going to choose a book of the Bible, you're going to watch a video, and then every day you're going to take a chapter and you're going to read. You're going to read 
one chapter at a time, but you're gonna read it two or three times. Again, don't, don't rush through it. Our goal isn't just to get it done. It's to spend time with God. I'm gonna read the chapter, maybe take some notes, maybe have some questions that I wanna bring up with a friend, or maybe you're gonna email me something, or you're gonna bring it up in your small group. And then you're just gonna take some time to reflect. The Bible calls it meditation. Not just reading it, yeah, I get it, move on, but just stop and reflect and say, God, what, is there something you want to put in front of me here? And then you're going to pray, and you're going to take action. Again, one actionable idea. What, what, what did I learn here that I need to take action on, that I, I need to put some uh, feet to that idea? And again, if you're using that, if you're opening up, praying, reading through a chapter, reading through it again, little notepad, just saying, hey, I don't understand this, or this whole chapter was weird, that's okay. Sometimes we think that because we don't feel anything happening or we don't have depth of insight into all these nuances in the text that it's not working, that is not true. I, I couldn't tell you what I had for dinner last Wednesday. I have no idea. But that doesn't make it not nourishing, not good, and because I ate last Wednesday, I'm here stronger now. But I bet you when I was eating my dinner last Wednesday, I probably wasn't overwhelmed by how amazing the meal was because our family just has really simple meals. And that's okay. So if you sit down in God's word and you pray, even if you fumble, and if you don't have some kind of big aha moment, that's not wasted time. Seeds of the gospel still still being sown in your heart. God's at work, the spirit's at work, and God will use that, right? I've used this metaphor before with the farmer, right? You don't scatter seeds as a farmer and then immediately look on the ground and say, well, I don't see any growth. It's not working. I guess it's a waste. Nor would you go to sleep, wake up the next day and say, oh, now I know it's not working because nothing's happening. I shouldn't be a farming. Farming is a lie. These seeds are terrible. There's no hope for me. Patient every day. Sow the seed. Spend time with God. So one is a devotional book. The other would be just to pick a book of the Bible and say, I'm going to go through this. And the second is to have a reading plan. And reading plans, I have a link there. There's a lot of reading plans there. Some are for the very ambitious 10 chapters a day in all different segments of the Bible. Some are very, very like, you have a hard time sticking with readings. This plan's for you because it's like a four-day readings, but we give you, we bake in a long weekend every week because you're going to, you're not going to hit four days. So we're breaking in times for you to fall behind in this and that. And again, ones that are thematic, ones that will go through the Bible chronologically, ones that will go through it systematically. All awesome. Again, just pick one. Don't worry too much about option paralysis. Oh, I don't know which one is the best. Just pick one. Start eating and start taking in oxygen. And then you're going to pray. You're going to read all the scriptures. Let's say you had two scriptures, a reading from the Old Testament, a reading from the New Testament. You're going to read both of them slowly hopefully at least twice, making some notes, having this little study Bible and saying, highlighting what you noticed. Then focus on one of the passages and maybe steep there a little bit more. Or maybe you read them all once, but this passage from the Old Testament, oh, that really was like, oh, that's cool. I don't think I've read that before. Read it two or three times slowly. Reflect, pray, and take action. Again, that whole process might take you five to ten minutes, depending on how slowly you're going to do. Obviously, it could take you longer. But all three of these are workable patterns that anybody here could start doing right now, whether you're in junior high and 
still learning how to form this habit and its ritual in your life all the way to someone who's been a Christian for decades. Again, have highlight there, best study Bibles. Um, I mentioned this before, clarifying the Bible. I'm going to put out a link to Right Now Media in the Summit newsletter next Friday that will allow you to watch this video series uh, through our church's subscription to uh, Right Now Media, which is an online Bible study thing. This is one of the best, most interesting, most helpful introductions to an overview of the Bible I've come across in pastoral ministry. It's eight videos. One is kind of an intro and then an epilogue. So it's really six videos that give overview of the Old Testament. Here's what's going on in the particular books. Overview of the New Testament. Here's what's going on. But it's done in a really compelling way. The entire th- It's broken up into six videos. The entire thing would take you one hour and 45 minutes to watch if you were just going to burn through it a la Netflix style and just binge watch Bible videos. What a witness you'd be at work the next day. Oh, looking tired today, Jeff. Oh, it's just binge watching. Clarifying the Bible. <sighs> oh, it's pretty intense. But I say that to say I really feel compelled to invite slash instruct you to watch this over the course of 2018. I don't care if you watch it one go. I don't care if you watch one video a month. This will help you immensely in terms of helping you to help making the Bible not intimidating, very accessible, interesting parts of the Bible that you're like, I would, that's a, that's a, I would never go there. This is going to help embolden you and say, wow, that's really cool. That's, that's, oh, this is a game changer in terms of making the Bible accessible and interesting, and it's just opening it up. And that's free to everybody in our church. We have a subscription. Part of your uh, giving goes towards that, and so we'll get that out to you uh, next Friday. But if you're eager, you can email me, and I'll get you the link and the passwords before then. Now, those are supports for kind of the the Bible reading, and I I kind of mentioned in passing prayer, but we need prayer supports because almost every Christian that I talk to says, I struggle with prayer even more so than in Bible study because I don't know what to say, my mind wanders, or it's boring, or all three. I don't know what to say beyond like, bless everybody, God, and I got this thing going on, so help with that, and um, yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. My mind wanders, I start to pray, and then it's like, woo, or it's boring. I just don't find it engaging. I don't, I don't necessarily expect to experience fireworks every time I pray, but it just feels like, just feels like prayers are hitting the ceiling. There's just a deadness to it. I think a lot of the time that is because people in evangelical churches have been taught to pray primarily through spontaneity, meaning don't have a plan, just pray. Just cast your cares on God. Just open up your heart to your heavenly Father. And all those things sound good and people want to do them. But then when you sit down to pray... You don't know what to say. And of course you wouldn't. Because people who spent 24-7 around Jesus eventually came to a place where they're like, um, 
uh, Jesus, this is sort of awkward. We've been kind of doing this. We've been casting out demons even, but um, could you teach us how to pray? Like, I'm struggling in that part of my life. If the disciples need to ask Jesus to learn how to pray, you are not going to be able to just pray in any meaningful way. You are going to need to learn. And I'm going to tell you something that I honestly, in, in the way that I'm articulating it here, I learned about this three days ago. And it's already, I know it's going to revolutionize my prayer life. And I wish it was an equal measure release and re- relief and satisfaction and joy and anger that no one had ever taught me to do this. And that is this. If you don't know what to pray, and you often will not know what to pray in your devotional time, you pray the scriptures. Pray the scriptures. Which ones? The ones you actually read that day. You turn them into prayers. Some of you might have heard that as it relates to sometimes the Psalms, Psalms of the prayers of God. You can go into the Psalms and pray through them. I came across a pastor who said, just do it for anything. There's brilliance here, and I'll tell you why it's so brilliant. Because in doing it, the Bible itself, God's word, will teach you how to pray. And it will, over time, create an ever-expanding capacity and categories of thoughts and metaphors and ideas and ways of speaking such that with every year and every decade that goes on, your prayer life will be increasingly enriched because you are learning, you are being formed into prayer by God's word itself and not just trying to put words to it yourself. And again, it's not fake. So for example, look at John 15 verses one to four. This is how you could pray this scripture. You could look at it and say, I don't know what to pray today. Okay, here we go. Uh, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. Jesus, thank you for being the true vine. God, my father, thank you for being a gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Oh God, I want to be more fruitful, fruitful for you. Would you prune in me things that need to come off so that I can be more fruitful for you? God, I thank you that you're invested in my life. You're not a God who just planted me and said, there you go, whatever, see you when I come back. You're actively involved in my life. Thank you for that, God. God, I pray for my friend who's going through this situation. I pray that you will cut off things in them that are just causing them to drift away from you. I want them to bear fruit. Pray for my marriage. I want it to be fruitful. Jesus, I thank you in verse 3 that I'm already clean because of the word. I don't have to try and clean myself up for you. You've made me clean. I'm now in you. Now I just need to learn how to live for you. Thank you for that, Jesus. Jesus, you said, remain in me. I want to remain in you. Forgive me for the times where I don't. Forgive me when my heart wanders and when I think that I can bear fruit on my own. You say it yourself. You say, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It has to remain in me. So I want to remain in you, Jesus. Teach me how to do that, even today, God. Amen. That's a prayer that is praying scripture that is both meaningful but likely more meaningful than had you just sat down and say, okay, prayer to end your devotional time. And it will not be boring because you're going to have to bring your creativity into that passage. And it will be hard for your mind to wander because you're trying to figure out how to take these 
words and these ideas and play around with them and say, yeah, fruitful. Like, I want my marriage to be fruitful, God. I want, I want my relationship with my kids to be fruitful. I want uh, this thing that's happening on, on my sports team or this issue at school. Like, God, I want you to, to, to really intervene in that and uh, make it so that in six months from now, we're all saying, like, oh, we're stronger in our faith because of that. God, would you be a good gardener and do the work that you need to do in my heart? And it solves the problem of not knowing what to say. And you can, again, you can almost do this with any passage. You can almost just do the roulette wheel and just go like this and start reading. Well, Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God. That's kind of easy. But you could go somewhere else. You could read a parable of Jesus and just talk through the characters of the parable. It's like, I don't want to be like this, God. Help me to be like this. Help me to be watchful. These 10 virgins who aren't watchful, help me to be sharp for you, God. And imagine if you did that while doing it with the scripture that you read for the devotional that morning and reflected on. So you're kind of double reading it. You're praying in the spirit through the scripture. And every single day you're growing in a new prayer language with God. You have new, uh, your capacity to know how to pray for yourself and pray for other people is literally being expanded at a rapid rate every single day. So that is a huge thing. And I, I just, I, that's exactly what I did for three days in a row. I just read, like I told you guys to do, read, memorizing part of John 15, 1 to 11, and I would just pray through. One prayer for each verse. And that would easily fill up three, four, five minutes of significant, meaningful prayer. The second thing you can do if you want to learn to pray for an hour is just use a prayer wheel. It's right there, five minutes. What to do for those five minutes. Literally have a timer that clicks off. Beep, 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 beep. Switch to the next thing. Gives you direction. It's time bound. You're like, I could never pray for an hour. I've done this. You can absolutely pray for an hour when it's broken into 12 segments of five minutes. You'd be surprised how fast it go. Go for an hour long walk. Take this with you. Five minute timer. Pray for an hour. It'll, go, it'll feel like it's 15 minutes, especially if you're walking around in nature. No, Jeff, you don't understand. I can't do it for an hour. Okay, great. Do it for 12 minutes. Do one minute in each thing. You're going to pray for 12 minutes. Holistically. Confession, adoration, waiting on God, thanksgiving, praying a scripture. Uh, 12 minutes is a lot. 30 seconds a slice. Six minutes prayer total. You can do that. Scale it down. Scale it down. The third thing you can do is just use the Acts prayer structure. A lot of this, a lot of you who grew up in the high uh, to a grasshopper in the church, you know this. Acts is just um, breaking prayer into four major components. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And do the same thing. Say, for this month, every time I pray, I'm going to cycle through those four priorities and for one minute. Four minutes of prayer, one minute each. Go, adoration, praising God. Thank you, God. Maybe I'm going to put on a worship video or song. Awesome. Sing a song to God. It's going to be more than a minute but that's totally awesome. Then for the next minute, confess. Honestly deal with your sins. God, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I know I'm being tempted by. This is what I'm being pulled into. These are patterns that I see that I don't like. Next minute, thanksgiving. Give thanks to God for what's happening in your life, what you see God doing in the world. And lastly, supplication. Pray for your needs. Pray for the needs of other people around you. If you break those up into one minute, it's going to be hard for you to come in under a minute on each of them. I guarantee you. It'll be, it'll be hard. You'll find four minutes really tight, really quick. You'll, you'll go to two minutes pretty rapidly. And then all of a sudden you're going to say, I don't think I've prayed ever for like three days in a row for like 10 minutes each day. 
I am kind of a spiritual superstar. Right? You got get the confidence going. But the confidence comes from having a plan, not relying on spontaneity, and instead forming a ritual that holds you in place long enough to learn how to pray. And so what I do for prayer is those are three options, right? Prayer wheel, acts, or pray the scripture. And I basically just do one of those every day. Or sometimes I'll take a month and I say, I'm going to do the prayer wheel, the, the, the scaled version of it every day for this month. But if I don't know what to pray, I just default to one of those three things. Whether I have five minutes or whether I have an hour, I just go into one of them. And it always is a meaningful time. Now at 40 years of age, after following Jesus for a quarter of a decade, I can tell you my problems with scripture and specifically with prayer almost all stem from not having a plan and just kind of being like, yeah, what are we going to do? Again, we take it for granted. We come here on Sunday. There's an order of service. And the longer you can be in it, you can kind of be like, yeah, I kind of know what's coming down the pipe. But it would be brutal if we all showed up and said, what do you guys guys want to do? What do you think? I think we should do this. Okay, I think, okay, yeah, okay, well, um, yeah, pray for that now. And then, oh, do you want someone to speak? I didn't really prepare anything, but... Yeah, I can, I can go for hours if you want. No, Jeff, not hours, just like one minute. Oh, okay, fine. You listen to me. Go back and forth. Right. Spontaneity, very rarely, is fruitful. That's why when the disciples say, Jesus, teach us how to pray, he didn't say, well, just start praying. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He gives them a template. What, to just repeat it mindlessly? No, it's a template. You learn the ritual, you learn the themes, you learn the patterns, exalting God, confessing sin, saying God's will be done, not my will being done. And then over time, that begins to spill out into your life. And so lastly, when it comes to engaging the Bible and engaging in prayer, do something rather than nothing and focus on persistence and not perfection. If you miss a day, if you go through a week, maybe it's a month, doesn't matter, just get back on track and keep persisting. Food and oxygen. This is simple, but incredibly important to be getting spiritual food and spiritual oxygen and cultivating depth and fruitfulness on those levels. Because everything else that I am going to say in this series, fasting, patterns of building community, you name it, none of those things are gonna make a dent in the depth and fruitfulness of your Christian life if there is not depth and fruitfulness in engaging scripture and in praying in a personal one-on-one with Jesus. All, those things are secondary. This is the core. So if you don't know where to start and you're feeling overwhelmed and you're like, oh, do I join a small group and this and that and there's all these opportunities, this is where you start. Five minutes every day. Devotion, read, reflect, pray, read a few times, pray the scriptures or use Acts or use a prayer wheel and just start inhabiting that rhythm. Every other habit, ritual, discipline, practice, attitude is dependent upon consistency and growth in this area. 
And so start here and nurture health and strength here because spiritual food and spiritual oxygen are compulsory for a healthy, vibrant spiritual life. Let's pray. God, learning to abide in you, man, on paper, it is, it is so easy. And yet we can wake up and rush into our day with the best of intentions. Sometimes, even for me as a pastor, God, to wake up and just be like, wow, I hit the ground running. I want to serve God today. And yet taking time to personally connect with you in an unhurried way in scripture and in prayer can be something that I can leapfrog over, even in the name of of establishing your kingdom and, and, and ironically cooperating with you, God. So I confess that I understand that temptation to make this primary thing a secondary thing or even a tertiary thing. And I know many people in this room do as well, God, and yet grace is the invitation. You're not shaming us. We just need to learn. We need to learn we've been born again and like little babies who don't know how to walk, our muscles are weak would you grow us up to a stage where we can start taking baby steps and then learn to run and learn to run into your kingdom purposes for us, God. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.